Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. What a long year this week has been. This, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you know, I with all the events and especially after, I mean, we had and, and, and really dust your memory off here. I mean, we had this huge election in Georgia that we were keeping a close eye on because that was going to be high stakes. And then, you know, of course, uh, what happened at the Capitol last week and we got to the end of the week and I thought, wow, it was a week ago that I was looking at fireworks. It seems like I mean, it seems like we squeezed like seriously a whole year in there. It it has been nuts. And, And what a start. What a start to a year. And a week from Wednesday, the 20th of January, is when the next president, Joe Biden, and Vice President Kamala Harris get inaugurated. So uh, there, there'll be a lot of stuff going on around that. There's, of course, wow. the, the continued potential for violence around that with the, uh, the, with the, continued, uh, the continued potential for uh, an impeachment uh, yeah. as we go forward as well. And don't think you can tap the brakes in between here because we also have a legislative session, a once every two years legislative session that is starting up here in Texas. Yeah. So in this episode, let's talk about some of the things that state legislators will be looking at. Number one is property taxes. And there is a county judge in North Texas. He is a Republican. His name is Glenn Whitley, not Whitley, 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 which I have been called since I was in kindergarten, Whitley. Um, and this Republican County Judge, Glenn Whitley from Tarrant County, says that the state can lower the property taxes. Hey, Judge, thanks for being on Yolitics. We've talked about this for a while and finally have you on. Yeah, yeah I'm glad to be here. Hey, Thank let you, me ask you, because you and I share uh, almost the same last name. We're not related. Uh, I've been called Jason Whitley mm-hmm. my entire life, and my name has been spelled Whitley <laughs> my entire life, even though it's Whitely. Do, do you ever get that? And... Uh, Oh, I get it all the time. Everybody wants to call me Whitley. Yes, you know, it's just, I guess if, you know, if you've got it one way, they want to do it the other. But yes, I have constantly had it spelled Whitley and had everyone call me Whitley. And I, you know. We should change friends and acquaintances so they can finally pronounce our names correctly here. Um, (laughs) I I would like to change my friends and acquaintances too if we're doing that. (laughs) Well, I'm not, Jason Whiteley, I know some of yours, and I'm not sure I want exactly. to change with you. Judge Jenkins is a tough guy to be around, I'm telling you. You need to watch out for him. As long as you're oh, not between him and the camera, yeah, exactly. you're all right. Yeah, he, he loves that camera. I, I, I'm a fan of Judge oh, yeah. Jenkins, and I'm sure I'll have people turn this podcast off right now because of that. But, uh, yeah. No, Clay and I get along yeah. real well. You know, we do things differently, and, and some things we, you know, we may disagree on, but we never – doubt the others um you know integrity or the the reason right. for doing it i guess i would say i think hmm. um we both feel like we're doing it and that's what's best to do but uh we just approach things from well, a different well, way let's move things up to the legislature because the legislature besides dc the legislature is all the talk uh this week since it's going back into session they're gaveling back in on tuesday um, what's what's priority for you down there? Because it seems like they're talking about a lot of things, Judge. What would you like to see state legislators really work on? I would really like to work on reinforcing and kind of strengthening the partnership between local government and the state. Unfortunately, I feel like over the last decade or so, there's been a, 
a division and it's gotten wider and wider. And I think we really need to work on trying to reestablish that because we're the ones that implement all of the laws which well, they pass. What do you mean by that? Just, you know, working on that relationship. Like what specifically could the state legislature do? Well, the, the one thing that I always point to is that they seem to want to point the finger at us and blame us for all of the ills of property taxes. And, and they want to, you know, talk about out of control spending. And that's just not the case. Uh, the state is the one that determines how we're going to pay for the services that they require us to, to do. And, and property taxes are, have gotten way out of control. Uh, we're the 13th highest right now in property taxes when you compare us to the other 50 states. And that's just got to change. It's, it, we've got to cut it, not just reduce the growth, but we've got to find a way to cut it. And I think um, the state can do that. So, so I, I, I almost can hear the ears out there perking up when you say that. Uh, first of all, I think a lot of people would be surprised that we're the 13th highest. I, I, I think many Texans would have to assume that we're in the top five just because they see it go up and up and up every year. But, Judge, what what would you tell lawmakers? How do you find that pot of money to replace what they would be losing if they cut property taxes because they're relying on those to fund pretty much everything? Well, Jason, I want to go back to what you said in the very beginning. When you look at just homeowners' property taxes, uh, so private, private, yes, we are probably in the top, certainly within the top 10. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you look at overall property taxes, when you include businesses in there, Mm -hmm. now you're looking at us being the 13th highest. So what can you do about that? I believe that the way you do that and the way you correct it is for the state to pick up the day-to-day operations of the public schools. That's the teachers, the bus drivers, the janitors, the administration. If they did that, the taxes, yours and my property taxes would go down by over 50%. This year, I'm paying $8,600 in property tax to all the different entities. If the state would pick up the operations for the public schools, that would go down to around four thousand dollars. I would a whole lot rather write a check for four thousand than for eighty six hundred. Yeah, no, no, no doubt, Judge. But let me ask you about that because for people who don't really dissect their their property tax bills, half of your property taxes, a little more than half, goes to public education, uh, and the rest goes to different, you know, cities, counties, uh, hospitals, um, things like that. But I can hear state legislators saying, well, hey, we don't have enough money to fully fund public education. Um, you're, you're laughing about that. Tell me, tell me where, where, they, where would they get the money? I mean, could, could they, it seems like they would have to cut the state budget, you know, significantly. Well, let, to me, do it. let me just tell you yeah. where I think they could get it. And we collect almost 30 different taxes in the state of Texas. Two of those property tax and general sales and use tax account for over 81% mm-hmm. of that tax burden. So the first thing they could do would be to look at the exemptions that they currently have in place for all the different taxes that they collect. They could also look at all those other taxes and see if they couldn't take the, the savings from the property tax and spread that out among all those other taxes. Now, before everybody goes out of here and they start saying what Whitley's saying, let me just say what I am not saying. Under no circumstances should they look at any kind of a personal income tax 
and for that matter, our business tax. And they should also not look at any increase in the general sales and use tax. But if they would just look at the exemptions and look at those other taxes, Jeff Williams has a, a term called other people's money. He calls it OPM. And in Arlington, with all of the people they bring there for tourism and for the Cowboys and the Rangers, they pay an awful lot of sales tax to the city of Arlington, and therefore their citizens aren't having to pay as much property tax. So we need to diversify. We can look at hotel occupancy. We can look at rental car, all of the other taxes. Now, here's the here's the little, you know, dent in that. Um we talk about, well, why are all those other taxes only paying 19% or less, really, of the total tax burden that the state is raising? That's because they all have lobbyists that are paying millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to make sure that those tax rates stay very low. And I was going to ask you because to look at. I was going to ask you because we know that that happens. It, it happens, you know, not just every session, uh, but in between those sessions too, uh, where lobbyists are constantly working. Uh, are you speaking to lawmakers about these things as well? And do you get the feeling that you're able to get their ear? Do, are they hearing this? Well, I'm not sure that they're hearing it, Jason. You know, again, the the tendency in the last several sessions has been to point the fingers at local government. Mm -hmm. and say we're the problem with property taxes when if you really look at it the state legislature determines how services are paid for in this state the services that they require us to do they only give us very limited vehicles in which to do it and for most counties it's property tax for most school for all school districts it's property tax uh, cities and some counties get a little bit of general sales tax but they dictate how we're going to pay for the services that they require us to do. What's realistic at the end of the day, Judge? Uh, the legislature has 140 days that they meet every two years. Um, they capped last session. They capped how much property taxes can, can go up without calling an election. But do you really think that, that they will tackle this this year? Because like you, man, I get so upset every December 31st when I write that check to my local uh, uh, tax assessor collector. You know, I think you're right, unfortunately. I, we have the will. It's just a matter that they have to develop and figure out the way. And it's not going to be an easy, it's not going to be an easy deal. And you know, the problem is that a lot of those people who are making the contributions to their campaigns, a lot of those lobbyists for those other 20 plus taxes uh, are going to be fighting them at every step along the way. And it's easy to point the finger and say, well, you know, golly, we don't collect a property tax, but they, for the most part, anytime they mandate something or pass a law, uh, we used to call it unfunded mandates. What I want to start calling it is a state-mandated property tax increase. Hmm. Because every time they pass something and then don't uh, send dollars with it, it causes us to have to increase the property taxes. I can give you a couple of examples just for that. One, during this past year with the COVID, they weren't taking state prisoners. That cost Tarrant County almost $17 million dollars just right there. Uh, in addition to that, back in 2001, they, they passed a law called indigent defense, which basically said 
uh, we have to provide the attorneys for uh, someone accused of a crime that doesn't have any money. They said they were going to pay for that. We, they never have paid for any more than about a fifth of it. That's an, another state mandated property tax increase. Hmm. And finally, when you look at the DA, the criminal DA's office are state prosecutors. They are the ones that prosecute for the state in felony offenses. Uh, in most of your smaller counties, you'll have one elected DA. The state pays the vast majority, if not all, of that salary, and the county doesn't have to pay anything for it. The county and the citizens aren't paying for it through property taxes. Well, in an urban county, for example, we have over 130 additional prosecutors who basically uh, we have to pay for, in addition to the administrative staff, in addition to the facilities. Now, again, and this goes back to what I said very from the very beginning about, um, you know, building and restrengthening that partnership. This has been happening since 1836. This is not something mm -hmm. new. Um, and in the meantime, we always worked as partners. But recently, they have pointed the finger at us, blaming us for the property taxes without realizing that the reason we're having to do that is because they keep passing bills and forgetting to send the dollars with it. So what breaks that? And and I always wonder this with, you know, John Q. Public, what can that person do? I mean, because we're up against you're up against teams and teams and teams of lobbyists. Yeah, we're all sick of, of, of writing checks that just keep getting inflated every year. But what is the average person to do? Does the average person have a role in this and being able to change it? Well, what I try to do is every time I deliver a speech, every time I talk with somebody, I try to point these things out and to you know, to uh, basically try to put down those myths that we're the only reason why property taxes are going up. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's it's something that we've got to change. And, and I really, you know, to some extent, I'll blame leadership for not working with us as partners, but instead wanting to blame us uh, for for what we end up having to do as a result of them passing laws. Judge, there's another hot button issue that the uh, legislature is going to consider, and, and that is there's a push right now, which I'm sure you know about, to limit executive control during extended emergencies like the pandemic we're in. And I think this is probably a little more aimed at uh, Governor Abbott as opposed to county judges like yourself. But for, for instance, uh, State Senator Drew Springer from uh, Munster, just you know, north of Tarrant County there, um, he wants, after 30, 60, 90 days, whatever period of time, um, that an emergency order is in effect, he wants the legislature to come back into session and to decide what to do, as opposed to leaving up to one person, like we have seen for most of 2020. What do you think about that? What are your thoughts on that as, as an executive for uh, one of the largest counties in the state? Well, it goes back to local control, and, and I've always been a, uh, you know, very strongly in favor of local control. We've got 254 counties. We have thousands of cities and towns. We have over a thousand school districts. Each one of them are a little different. And I think it's, you know, it's very, very important that we realize that the folks in Azle may not want the same things as the folks in Arlington. Same thing with Tarrant County, Travis County, and even at the state level, uh, Texas and let's say Tennessee. We always hear the state saying they don't want Washington telling them what to do. Uh, it's the same here. And I really believe that what we can do 
and, and the perfect thing to point to is, is, is something that we're looking at right now with the vaccines. I talked about the fact that today I'm going to leave here and, and head to Arlington to meet with the governor and show him a model of a mass vaccine center. This was something that anybody could have done. But when the governor came in and said, we're going to open up 1B instead of just the alpha pods or the you know, first responder pods, uh, our public health began talking with Arlington. Arlington stepped right up there and said, we feel like we could make a difference and that we could do this right. They opened up their convention center. They're doing 2,000, over 2,000 a day. They think they have the capability to go up to 3,000 a day. Uh, anybody could have done that. We did it. And that's something that we decided to do locally, um, not because we're required to, but because we wanted to do that for our mm -hmm. citizens. And I think that's the difference is, is what do your citizens want? And then what are your local elected officials willing to step up and do? And, you know, we can't, we can't have that all being done from Austin. I just don't think that's the best way to do it. We need tiny brushes, not broad brushes when it can't, when it comes to, implementing policy and doing those kind of things. But do um, you get the sense that there is going to be a backlash against ex executive power? Uh, some of these lawmakers, I think, specifically are going after the governor here. Oh, yeah. They think that he's had too much power during the pandemic and they want to trim that back and, and that could have some spillover. Well, I think it will. You're exactly right. They're going to go after the governor. The governor, to a great extent, has, has prohibited local folks from doing things that were what he felt was beyond the reach that he wanted them to do. Uh, and I think that that- So he may get some of his own medicine here though. Well, he is, I think, but at the same time, Jason, where along, let's say we had set it up at 30 days or 90 days. Well, we started in March. So 90 days would have put us around June, right after Memorial Day. And we know the, the spike then, would you, have, would you have stopped everything then? Or right. would you have stopped it after the 4th of July? Or would you have stopped it after Thanksgiving or now Christmas or New Year? It's it's something that the emergency is continuing. And mm -hmm. I don't think the governor likes this any more than any of the rest of us. And, and you got to be very careful about governing by committee. Mm -hmm. Now, it, when you're talking about a city council or you're talking about a commissioner's court or a school board, they're very focused on a very small sector of the state. And I think you can do that. But I hate to think that somebody in, you know, the valley is going to determine what's going on up here. Um, let's take it when we have a big snow day. They don't have too many of those in the valley. We don't have a whole lot of them up here. But when they happen, we need to be able to react and not worry about whether there's going to be a committee from the state legislature to come yeah. back and tell us what to do. Judge, you're heading over to Arlington, as you mentioned, and, and the governor will be there as well, too. Take us behind the scenes. Uh, what happens backstage? Do you ever get time with the governor and say, hey, come on, this thing's crazy, or I love what you're doing on this? Do you get a chance to, to lobby him very much? I wish I had more of an opportunity to do that. It is a big state, though, and I know he has a lot of things that he's doing. I've, I've talked very regularly with Nimkid, uh, the head of the Texas Department of Emergency Management, he's been very accessible. And, you know, we have partnered with the state on test sites, uh, on the allocations of the vaccines. They've been a tremendous help. But, you know, I, you know, I haven't had as many conversations maybe with the governor as I would like, but I have not had any problem getting the ear of TDEM when I've, what, when I've what would you that. tell the governor if you could, uh, if you could 
get them for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so. Let each area determine how they can best get, right now we're talking about vaccines, how we can best get the vaccines out. We've got to keep testing at the same time. Let them figure out how to do it and then let the state step in and help financially get that done. You know, the state is still taking care, TDM is still handling all of the, a lot of the testing that's going on in Tarrant County. So they're absorbing the manpower as well as the financial burden on that. As we begin to expand out the vaccines, we're going to need financial assistance from the state, and I know that they'll be there to help us out when that when that need arises. Well, wow. mm-hmm. Judge Whitley, man, it's a fascinating conversation, uh, especially with a someone whose name is so closely related to mine. <laughs> hey, uh, good, good luck and, and keep bending their ear on property taxes, man. I, I tell you, I I can't stand writing that check. I know every one of our listeners in Texas can't stand it, and for our listeners who used to live in Texas, who don't live here anymore, they're probably loving the fact they don't have to write that check uh, anymore. Well, you know, the other big thing, if we could get that message out, right now when a new business comes here, what's the first thing they ask for? They ask for an abatement or they ask for a TIF. If we could cut the property taxes in half, that's not only cutting them for you and me, it's also cutting them for all those businesses that have been here for many, many years and are, um, you know, a major reason why we have the economy going that we have going here. So, you know, I depend upon y'all. Ask those questions of the state when, you know, when you have those people on the the different programs that y'all sponsor. Um, Put them on the spot. It can be done. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But, you know, the comptroller says we exempt almost as much as we collect in property and sales tax. So just think about that. Hmm. We exempt almost as much as we're collecting in those two taxes. I want an exemption. And again, there's no reason why those two taxes should be bearing 81% of the burden, except for the fact that you and I as consumers don't have, uh, aren't paying millions and millions and millions of dollars to uh, see that our taxes stay low. That's fascinating. They exempt as much as they take in. If they could just spread that around a little bit more. Yeah. Judge, uh, thank you. We will keep asking those tough questions. Uh, tell you what, when you're with the governor today, uh, if you can get him on Yolitics, we'll ask the tough questions. <laughs> well, I'll tell him that I met with you all this morning and he'd, they'd love to have you on. Tell him that Jason Whitley guy is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks, Judge. Hey, Judge, look, thank great you. Thought. I'm ready to have one of these when we can be out someplace like maybe Joe T's and yeah, maybe we share a margarita or you know have a couple of margaritas or so. Or the, or the patio at Joe yes. T's is one of the the coolest places anywhere. Joe T Garcia's it's in Fort gym. Worth, over by the stockyards. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, you know, I actually I actually brought a uh, RAR and Sons, but as we record this hey, podcast, nice. it's a little too early for a beer. We've right got here, a, you know we've got a few uh, distilleries over here that uh, are making some pretty good. Uh, bourbons as well as beers as well as you know we, we've got all kinds of stuff i could give well, you a hey tour. we'll take it anytime okay. we're going to take you up on that when things get more normal judge well i'm looking forward to that too maybe by uh maybe by july the 4th we'll celebrate independence uh, day and independence from COVID 19. fingers crossed <laughs> so the judge is inviting us over for uh bourbon i'm going to take him up on that yes we need uh, to absolutely we need to ditch do we this need permission stuff. to drink bourbon 
What? Yeah. Do we, do we need permission? Do we need permission to ditch the beer and, and upgrade the bourbon? I don't think we do. I think you only need permission if we go past one shot of it. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a new year. It's time for something different. So in addition to property taxes that the state legislature, you know, may or may not even consider this go around with the session starting, uh, another way to save money that uh, lawmakers really might consider is to finally expand Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And this is an issue that is near and dear to the uh, heart of a state senator, to all Democrats, but to a state senator named Nathan Johnson. He's a Dallas Democrat. And Democrats say if the state would just take these federal dollars to expand Medicaid, we could ensure tens of thousands of, uh, of the working poor, as Democrats uh, call them. Mm-hmm. And that would provide health insurance for them. It would also free up more money in the state budget, Jason. Yeah, I think that a lot of people here, wait a minute, you want to expand Medicaid and that's going to save money. Uh, and so we uh, we had to get them on here just to explain because I think you know people tune it out uh, if they don't feel like they're for it right off the bat. Or they might say, eh, that's got a price tag that's too big. So we, we said, you know, you got to explain this, explain how you think this would actually work and how you think this would benefit Texas. So here is uh, State uh, Senator Nathan Johnson, Dallas Democrat. Happy New Year to you, Jason. So on Tuesday, the legislature goes back to session. And one of the things you've been talking about for a while is Medicaid expansion and, and how that could really save the state a lot of money at a time when the state needs money because of uh, the, the recession caused by the pandemic. But for people who aren't familiar with this, explain what Medicaid is, the expansion, and how much money this could save Texas. Great. Um, it, uh, it is a real big opportunity for the state to both give health care to about a million people and make money. The Medicaid program is a state health insurance program. It's a way for people who absolutely cannot afford uh, health insurance and therefore get health care, a way to have health insurance and health care. Uh, we have an existing Medicaid population. Texas has the most stringent standards of any state in the union. So what we're talking about doing is providing health insurance to essentially what we're talking about is the working poor. That's the expansion population. Uh, it is a way that we can draw down federal Medicaid dollars, just like we do in education, just like we do in transportation. State puts up some money, draws down federal money. But when you're talking about this working poor expansion, we're drawing money down at a 90-10 rate. When we do that, not only are we having this tremendous federal match, we're also able to pay for existing state programs with federal dollars. So some of the money we're spending today, we just take right off of our side of the ledger and it gets picked up. Uh. We're also, when we pick up these extra million people, we in the state private use the private sector to provide this coverage and they pay a little tax on each policy. So when you get a million people coming in, that's a million new policies. And there's a little tax that the insurance companies are gonna pay when they bring those people in and that brings in revenue. Okay, so we've saved money and we've brought revenue and you add that up and it comes out to be more than the cost of providing insurance to these people. So right there, we at least break even. But the other thing that happens is because we're drawing money down, by the way, it's our tax dollars we're drawing down at this 90-10 rate, you're going to get about $11 billion per biennium of federal dollars flowing into the Texas economy that currently are not in the Texas economy. What happens when you pump $11 billion into the economy? It grows, which generates state revenue. So 
So, Senator, I think people would ask why this hasn't Ooh. already happened. When you when you hear a pitch like that, you, you wonder, well, why hasn't yeah, it happened? I, that's a great question. And, and the answer is a little bit frustrating, if, but there's kind of a happy end to it. Um, back in 2010, when the Affordable Care Act first came down, it was associated with the, the word Obamacare, and it was very toxic, and people were afraid of it. There was a feeling that you're going to create state dependency by providing health care to people, and it'll um, it'll just send us backwards in a, in a larger nanny state kind of thing. And, and some of those concerns and the uncertainty associated with it were understandable at the time, particularly in a conservative state, and sometimes conservative values have served us quite well. But what we've seen through the past six years in particular, as other states have implemented this, those concerns just turned out to not come to fruition. It, it actually has encouraged people to work. It has helped state budgets. It's been very effective. It's not resulted in bloated, unmanageable systems. So the reason it hasn't happened yet is because people hadn't gotten comfortable with the data yet. But today we have the data. So, and when you say when you say people, Senator, you're talking about Republican leaders. <laughs> and they haven't been comfortable with it for a decade. So what makes you think they're, they're going to be comfortable now with it, though, in this sense? Well, I, I guess we, we, we don't really have to limit it to just Republican leaders. I think the Democratic approach to uh, health care coverage for a long time has been from the standpoint of a moral obligation, which I agree with. We, I think we do have an obligation to try to take care of people. They can't afford health insurance or health care, and you can't be the, destin the agent of your own destiny if you don't have health care. But Democrats and Republicans now need to look at the fiscal side of this. And yeah, we are talking about Republicans who have opposed it for the most part. Um, and what happened is there were there were some statements and made and assumptions made in 2010 and 12, and they've just kind of stuck. And the reason I think it's it's uh, quite possible that I mean, maybe even probable that we pass it this session is we're in a budget crisis and we need money. And when somebody comes up and says, hey, we got an extra two and a half billion dollars for you next biennium and your district could save its hospital and provide better health care to more people. That's going to get a lot of people's attention. And you're using the word biennium just for our, our, our listeners here. The legislature meets every two years and passes a budget that lasts two years. Right. So if you're like me and didn't take Latin, probably, uh, then you may not know what biennium is, something I didn't really recognize until I started covering the legislature. But Jason, go ahead. You had a question. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the, the other thing you keep mentioning is this 90-10. And so basically, you know, for people who don't understand that the federal government puts up 90 percent of the money for this, the state contributes 10. Uh, and, and you start looking around the map and, you know, I'm looking at the Kaiser Family Foundation's map right now of who has done this, who has expanded Medicaid and who hasn't. And Texas is one of just 12 states. Uh, and it's it's pretty glaring when you look at this map. Senator, a lot of red states in there uh, have done this. A lot this. of red states. And that's the the other good news, um, uh, Jason, you asked a minute ago why it would now be the opportune time, and it's because a lot of red states have gone ahead and done this, and it's not just that they had the, you know, the foresight to do it. We're looking at their experience. How did they do it? Okay, it's been done in lots of places, and it's been very effective in Ohio and Indiana and many other states, so we don't have to go first on this. They're benefiting it from financially, and it's working quite well, and no one's getting thrown out of office on account of it, including Governor Mike Pence, who passed it in Indiana. Um, and, and Jason, just one last thing. Um, on that 90-10, I'm so glad you brought that up. What, what you'll hear in the discussion over the next, and there's going to be a loud discussion over the next several months about Medicaid expansion is, you know, there's another thing we could do, right? Let, let's not go with that big federal program. We're going to do an alternative thing. 
all of the alternative things are 60-40. They're not 90-10. Wow. They cover a tiny little slice of the population. They're 60-40, so the math doesn't work. And that 40 comes from your property tax dollars, whereas an expansion doesn't. Hmm. We're gonna talk property tax in a moment, but final question on this, bring this back down from politics, back down to the human level, Senator. What, what would this mean to the working poor that you just described? It's the difference between being able to get up every day with the confidence that you can make it through and, and, and not being able to, or uh, being able to get primary care so that uh, a minor infection doesn't become septicemia so that you get treated on Monday morning and you go to work all week long instead of winding up in the hospital for three months with a crushing burden of debt that drives you into bankruptcy. This also means that you go to a doctor to get preventative care instead of showing up at the ER for a bill that you cannot pay that ends up getting shared by all of the rest of us. And we have to remind everybody, Texas leads this country by far with the number of people who are uninsured. Absolutely right. It's not a stat that the, that the state wants to brag about. But you mentioned property taxes, and man, I just uh, paid my property taxes uh, what, oh. a couple of weeks ago. And Very sorry about that. Dude, it is, it is I mean, just gut-wrenching. How, how, Senator, how can you lower my property taxes? I'm tired of paying this, uh, this huge bill every I year. I don't think anybody is likely to be able to lower your property taxes. Um, but we can probably, and have done something about them continuing to go up. Um, the legislation that was passed last session did cap the amounts that cities and counties and other districts can can raise through property taxes. And the problem was the state came to rely on local property taxes to fund things that used to be funded with state dollars. So although I wasn't real happy about the mechanism the state used for this, the result of what we did last session is going to take pr pressure off of continuing increases in property taxes because we had a much more substantial commitment of state dollars to school taxes. And that's half your property bill right there. Another big component of your property taxes is your hospital district. And Medicaid expansion will take pressure off of the continued cost uh, of the local uh, hospital district taxes. Hey, you, so all this stuff is tied together. I, I, I'm just curious about this. A lot of people will contact the cent Central Appraisal District. Uh, that, that seems to be the target uh, when you start talking about property taxes and property valuations especially. How much do you hear about this from constituents? I mean, we always say contact your legislator. Do people contact your office and the offices of your colleagues a lot about the issue of property taxes? and how Not as much as they used to. I do hear about it, uh, but not as much as they used to. Um, it's a lot of their wrath goes to the, the central appraisal district, right? And they're saying my, my property is overvalued. You know, usually it's not overvalued when you're talking about the market. What's important is not the value of your property, it's the tax rate that's being right. applied. So, but right. another issue on this, um, and it's one that I've been working on, is since 1997, we had kind of a change in the tax code that we believe has been manipulated to shift the property tax burden from large commercial property owners to residential homeowners. Uh, and, and that, I think, needs to be reversed. It's a very tough sell. Uh, I think we've kind of narrowed the gulf between the different factions on this issue to where it's possible that this session will at least be able to circumscribe the boundaries, you know, to, to make sure that when we're using comparable properties, we do it in a relevant place, uh, kind of prevent gross manipulation of values. 
because it's not fair that the owner of a skyscraper is shifting their property taxes to local homeowners. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, besides uh, besides uh, school finance slash property taxes, maybe Medicaid expansion and redistricting, what are the other big issues do you think that will surface this legislative session, which begins here on Tuesday? Criminal justice is uh, is something that's been on everyone's mind. There's a, a racial equity component, and then there's a fiscal component, and so it's it's actually one of those areas where you have people uh, of a very conservative fiscal mindset and people of a very progressive justice mindset coming together to say, are we wasting? a lot of money in the process of destroying lives over things that really we shouldn't be as concerned about, for example, marijuana. Um, so there, you know, it's just gonna be the marijuana legalization session or it will be the decrim session. Do you see any chance of that at all, marijuana legalization? If I were to bet, I would say that the legislature will not pass marijuana legalization this session um, because I, I don't have a, a I don't, because I don't have a lot of confidence that that would happen, a bill that I am filing is what we call B to C. It's a decrim bill, not a legalization bill. And I think there may be more of an appetite for that in the legislature because we, we all recognize there's a, a bad racial disparity in the enforcement of drug laws, that we're putting people in, in jail for petty offenses, if they're offenses at all. Um, and we could be spending our law enforcement resources much more effectively. So it's really a, you said, a, a law. And, and you said, you said, uh, yeah, you said decrim build, decriminalize it, yes, right? Yes, not different than legalization. And even then, it's not totally decriminalization. Basically, we take it from being a class B misdemeanor down to a class C misdemeanor, which is kind of like a traffic ticket. Uh, so we're not busting up families and paying $30,000 a year to lock up somebody who otherwise would have a job and be paying taxes. And we're, we're allowing the police to devote their resources to uh, property crimes and violent crimes instead of petty drug offenses. Jason, you know, you know who we have here, Jason? We have somebody who's talking about ideas and issues here as opposed yeah. to somebody who just, you know, talks about rhetoric all the time. I'm just, I'm so enlightened uh, we're talking to a lawmaker it's here very, with, with it's ideas refreshing. and issues. It totally is. Uh, well, I was wondering who you were it's talking refreshing. about for a minute. <laughs> Senator, I was going to ask you, this year uh, is another one of those where we will see uh, redistricting here in Texas, and we know how those fights have gone uh, in, in years past. They haven't been pretty. Do you have a pit in your stomach about that, or do you feel okay about so it? So imagine you finished in the bottom two of your bracket in the NBA season, and somebody told you that the first place team gets first round draft pick. That's kind of how I feel about this. Uh, you know, I'm in the... I'm in the minority mm-hmm. party and the majority is getting ready to draw the maps. What's that about? Uh, so um, fortunately, it's hard to predict uh, what's going to happen with maps. I mean, the seat I occupy, uh, I don't think anybody thought would be a viable seat ever. Um, and demographics have a way of shifting around. But on w- redistricting, what bothers me more is that we waste time doing it at all. We got a bunch of stuff we need to be working on. Why are we having political parties draw maps instead of a computer algorithm that comes up with a reasonable approximation of what districts should look like together with a a nonpartisan or a bipartisan commission, none of whom are in office, draw these maps so that we can do our job. And that's not pie in, and that's not pie in the sky. That's actually happening in other states that way. Uh, You know, looking to other states is always a good way for a conservative state to go. How's it working? It's working pretty well. It's not easy. Uh, last, last thing I want to know is, you know, we know that the state, you know, suffered tremendously during the pandemic here as far as the revenues uh, coming in. 
How much is the average Texan really going to feel the budget crunch that you all are going to be dealing with this time around? It It's hard to say because um, a lot of the cuts that might get made are going to have long-term effects. The short-term effects, certainly if you work for the state and they're laying people off, you're going to feel it. Um, if you are working for an agency that plans to build out in one region that has uh, multiplier effects, if, uh, if, if a road is not going to be built in a place and you were going to put a restaurant there, you're going to feel the effects. Uh, it will be widespread. In some cases, it'll be really direct. Uh, in others, it's going to take longer or you won't be able to directly attribute it to the fact that we had a budget cut there, but it's going to affect every single one of us for sure. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, State Senator Nathan Johnson, man, good to talk to you. I always appreciate the ideas and I love listening to the different uh, things that are going on down there besides the, the heated rhetoric that comes out of both <laughs> parties. So thank you for, for keeping the ideas flowing. Thank you for, for talking with me. I always enjoy talking with both of you. So, Jason, maybe after what happened at the Capitol, there will be people like Nathan Johnson, the state senator from Dallas, who uses less rhetoric and speaks more like a person yeah. and tries to figure things out. I mean, that was refreshing just hearing. It me. was. And 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 before him, when we talked with Judge Whitley, who said, you know, I, I don't necessarily love all of the things, for instance, that my counterpart uh, in Dallas County does, uh, Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins. Uh, they're, of course, from two different parties. They have different ideas about how things go. But he says they never question each other's motivation. They never question, you know, the, 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 the reasons that the other is doing something, even if they disagree with them. That's that's very similar to what we've heard from from Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden, talking about not questioning the motivations of people in the other party. I do think that you know it's maybe maybe that's one of the good things that comes out of uh, the the bad that happened uh, in D.C. Uh, last week is that maybe we do see uh, some of this uh, temperature turned down on the way people are talking about you know the other side and demonizing the other side. Yeah, indeed so. And, and despite people who may have enabled the president over the years to see them come out now and say that they reject the violence that happened there, they reject the people who dragged out a police officer, um, who, who, who you know ransacked the Capitol, that, that's at least a start to hear those folks come out and say, we, we, we can't do this anymore. Yeah, could their rhetoric still, rhetoric still be toned down? Absolutely. Does it need to be? Absolutely, it still needs to be toned down. Uh, but like you said, having a Republican and a Democrat on this podcast who both speak clearly and plainly is, is, is certainly something that I think that uh, is good to start off this new yeah. year. And, um, and of course, we're going to keep up with all that's going on uh, with the whole Capitol breach and uh, with this, you know, potential impeachment effort and with the uh, inauguration that's coming up. And we're going to stay on top of this Texas legislative session because, as I said earlier, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. And I think that it really falls off of a lot of people's radar. We're going to be highlighting some things for, for everyone over these next several months that really do uh, affect us uh, at the, you know, at the personal level here in Texas. So we're going to keep on watching that. And I always like to give people a way to change things on their own too. And when you, you know, load up these vo voicemails and these uh, email inboxes of these different legislators, when enough people do it, they do start to take note. 
And so in the description for this podcast, we have a link for you uh, because it feels helpless. Like you said, Jason, sometimes when you're writing this bloated check that's bigger than any of the ones you've ever written before uh, for your property taxes, and you think, my goodness, how much can this keep going up? In the description for this podcast, we have a link that will take you to a page that will let you find who exactly is representing you in Austin so that you know who you need to contact to let them know how you think about your money. And, and as we go through the next 140 days with the state legislature, if there is a bill, and there will be hundreds of them filed, if there is a bill, an issue, a topic, something going on down in Austin that you just want to find out a little more about, uh, hit us on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Whiteley, not Whitley, <laughs> at Jason Whiteley. And you can find my uh, my colleague, my co-host at Jason Wheeler TV, at Jason Wheeler TV. Let us know what issues uh, you're concerned about, you want to find out more about, and we'll reach out to folks to see if we can get them on Yolitics here as well. And that's it for this week. We will uh, do it all again next Tuesday, unless events before them require us to do another emergency edition of the podcast. <laughs>